Hello out there, all you beautiful creepsters. My name is Gemma, and this is... Corner. We're from Terre Haute, Indiana, and you're listening to Sinister Sightings with Donna and Carrie on a Paranormal Chicks podcast. Come on in, grab a drink, grab a snack, and have a seat as we listen to Donna and Carrie talk about cox cards, all the things, morbid, profane, spooky, and... Scary. And remember... Keep it real and don't get scared. We are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 152. And you just heard Gemma E. and her little creepster. Very cute. And you know, carbs, cocks, all the things. All the things. If you want to introduce an episode just like they did, all freak amazingly, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. All right, the first one. Hi, me, Lauren, again, the one who sent in about walking the dog and my dad, the security guard. Well, I know that in the email I said, let me know if you want more, but let's be honest, I'm still catching up on Sinister Sightings. And Carrie keeps talking about being worried of running out of stories. Therefore, I'm just going to share it without waiting for confirmation. So, unpucker that butthole. (laughs) I'm here to help. (laughs) You know her too well. Today, I will include some stories from my childhood home I mentioned. There's too much for one email, though, so expect more. Story number one. Attempted break-in one. All my life, we've always had German Shepherds, and on more than one occasion, we were so glad we did. These stories take place before we had the dog I spoke about in the last email. So, when I was younger, we had two dogs. Both scary when needed to be, but so cuddly and great with me and my siblings. But let me tell you a bit about Jake. He was the runt of the litter, so tiny, and the last one left. We literally have photos of when he was about 10 weeks old, lying next to my mom's slippers, and he was the same size. Then, as he grew up, he just grew and grew and grew and then grew some more. He was just huge. My dad's a little over six feet, and when Jake would jump up, he would have his paws on his shoulders. He was taller than him. He was such a softy, though. Then, our other dog was Sadie. She was average size, but she was nowhere near as friendly to strangers as Jake. She was so protective, and when mom would walk her, she would just not let anyone get close to us. Anyway, now you have an image in your mind, so let's get to the story. My mom was driving my dad to work one evening for the night shift, and I went with for something to do. This left my older brother and sister at home. I think they were probably 13 and 14. And we had good neighbors who wouldn't mind helping if they needed to if our parents had to go out for a little while. My sister was sat on the couch eating a bowl of ice cream, and from where she was sat, she could see the back door through a window. At the same time, both dogs start growling, and not like a normal seeing something they don't like growl, but like a really snarly growl. I hope you can imagine the difference. A second later, Jake went sprinting towards the back door, barking like mad, and Sadie came and sat in front of my sister, almost to protect her, we think. My sister looked to see where Jake had gone and saw there was a man breaking in through the back door just as Jake jumped up at the door and slammed it shut. He stayed on his back legs like that for a few seconds, barking like crazy, and then he dropped down, looked at Sadie, and barked, and she went and joined him at the back door. Like, he literally looked at her and said, are you going to help a brother out or not? 
My sister shot up two flights of stairs. My brother slept in the very haunted loft conversion to tell him what was going on. So being the good big brother he was, he said to her, we should go get the neighbors. You go downstairs first, though. My sister never let him live that one down. Anyway, the man had long gone, thanks to the dogs, and the neighbors called our mom, and she was back home as fast as she could. It wasn't long before this happened, though, that our back door had broken, and the company had gone bust, so they couldn't fix it, and we couldn't afford to get a new one, and our house was separated from the neighbor by a very small alleyway that we kept our wheelie bins in, so he'd come in through that way. So, yeah, that was the first time someone tried to break in. Are wheelie bins trash cans? I think so. Okay. Story two, footprints in the snow. By this time, we were only left with Jake as Sadie had to cross the Rainbow Bridge a little while before this. Also, my mom had left my dad by this point and was living at her mom's a few hours away from us. I can't remember where my siblings were this night, but it was just me and my dad home. It had been snowing unusually heavy for a few days, and it settled pretty thick. It was late one evening, and it was dark, and Jake was just a little older by this point, too. He was at the back door, which he did to let us know when he needed the toilet. This one day, he was kind of whining, and we thought he was desperate to go. Well, Dad came and sat back down and could hear Jake barking repeatedly, so he put on his old man's slippers and stood at the back door calling him, but he wouldn't come. Dad goes out there and finds the dog barking at the back fence, and as he was walking over there, he noticed his footprints coming from the back fence towards the house. Then Jake's paw prints, and then footsteps going back to the fence. Yeah, for some reason, our house must have just looked like a gold mine to robbers. Jake got extra cuddles and treats that night for sure. Story three, the beginning of the haunting. Okay, since this email is all about my childhood home, it only seems fair to start sharing about the ghosts or whatever the fuck it was freeloading off my parents living there rent-free. As a child, I loved watching scary films that I definitely shouldn't have watched. My parents would try to stop me, but I would go on that much that in the end, they had a don't come crying to us when you get scared attitude. So when I was probably nine, I watched Chucky. After this film is when I started to notice footsteps in the loft. I told my dad and he said it was just the neighbors next door. Even nine-year-old me knew these footsteps were coming from above, not next door. Later in life, dad said he had been hearing them for a while, but just didn't want to say anything and think I only noticed them because I was on edge after watching the film. One interesting thing to note, though, is only myself, my older brother, and my dad ever experienced anything. My mom and my sister never experienced a single thing. Like I said earlier, my brother slept in the loft, and to save a bit of money, my parents opted for more basic carpet. I don't know how to explain it, but it was like bumpy, so instead of one smooth surface, there were small grooves in the carpet. When you would move furniture, it would make a very quick sound. Even if you don't know what I mean, just know it made a distinct sound. So picture it. My 14-year-old brother was sleeping in bed one night and woke up to the sound of furniture being dragged across his carpet. His bed was against the wall, and when he woke up, he sat up. It was a couple of inches away from the wall. He got up and pushed it back and fell asleep. He doesn't know how long he had been asleep for, but he woke up to the sound again. This time, he got up and looked. His bed was about four feet away from the wall. I remember him coming into my room and waking me up. I was about nine, I think. He had his pillow and his quilt and, with tears in his eyes, asked me if he could sleep in my room for the night. He told us what happened the next day. I believed him because I had seen him nearly crying, and my dad believed him because of the footsteps he'd heard. That will do for today as I really need to get my ass to the gym. 
I will follow up next week with more from this house and more paranormal true crime experiences I've had. Thank you both and Will for the great podcast and the community you've created. As always, creep it real and hope my experiences make you just a little bit scared. Lots of love, Lauren. Oh, God, this is from when Will was still with us. And now we have Corey. Similar accent. <laughs> Similar, not the same. He's still filling us out. He, I don't know if he knows what to do with us How yet. do you know what he's doing to me? <sighs> Jesus, <God. laughs> He's got a girlfriend. Calm down. You know that never stopped, Donna. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean, Bark says bye? <laughs> That shit about the footprints, scariest shit. 100. But also, man, we do not deserve dogs. No, we don't. But I will tell you this. Bo used to be like that. Like, he just could know people. Like, there's this guy that Colby's known forever and ever and ever that, like, stopped by the house. And Bo's little mohawk went up. And he was like, no. Colby's like, you should probably stay outside. Yeah. Like, Bo knew instantly, like, nope, don't like him. Mm-hmm. Also, yes, send all the stories. I mean, you did just pepper in, oh, my older brother lived in a really haunted attic conversion. And then told us a story about oh, it. true, true. I feel, if it's really haunted, though, there's multiple stories. Oh, oh, for sure. And you know the whole time I was going Jake from State Farm. Every time, me too. Was he wearing khakis? <laughs> I was thinking the red polo. <laughs> All right, the next one. I just finished listening to Sinister Sightings, episode 100, where you read my first entry about the perverted ghost. Thank you so much for reading it. And to answer your questions about my best friend Luna and I being similar to you, yes, we are a couple of extra large pizzas. We are somewhat codependent on each other. It would be more if we lived in the same state again, but nope, that bitch chooses to live all the way in Sacramento. While, as she puts it, I live in the black hole of the United States, a.k.a. Texas. I'm sorry. I think you meant Texas. You know, I lost it and it's still in the lost and found. We do have a love-hate relationship, but mostly love. Despite being thousands of miles apart, we are each other's rock in the dark seas, and I could not imagine my life without her. That's why on this sinister sighting slash true crime entry, I'm going to take it all the way back to the place with a true crime story about the place where Luna and I first met each other, a place called Rock Springs, Wyoming. That was very challenging for me. R's and W's together. I know the name is unassuming and it's boring as fuck now, but it does have a nice little college and when the oil industry is booming, so does it. But a long, long time ago, like 1970s, it was a town in the midst of a huge oil boom with all the sword stuff. But a long, long time ago, like 1970s, it was a town in the midst of a huge oil boom with all the sordid stuff that goes with it. Police corruption, gambling, prostitution, etc. Seriously, Carrie, you really need to look it up. It might be a good candidate for an episode. It was so bad, it ended up on a 60 Minutes episode called Our Town that first broadcasted in October 1977. But that's not what my story's about. My story is going to take you all the way back to the 1800s, where it was home to one of the largest ethnic massacres in the state that was known as the Rock Springs Massacre, or the Rock Springs Riot, that took place on September 2nd, 1885. It was a great injustice to one of the hardest working, just trying to make their life better, chasing the American dream, Chinese immigrant workers. 
At the time, most of the Chinese immigrants in the Wyoming Territory took jobs with the Union Pacific Railroad being built and ended up in Rock Springs working for the Union Pacific Coal Department. The coal mines found it economically beneficial to give preference to the Chinese miners who were willing to work for much lower wages in the crappier conditions than their white counterparts. This really angered the white miners. At about 7 a.m. on September 2, 1885, 10 white men in ordinary minor uniforms arrived at the coal pit number 6 and declared to the Chinese workers that they had no right to work in that desirable room. Location was important because they were paid by the ton. You don't mine enough, you don't get paid well. A fight broke out and two of the Chinese workers were badly beaten and one later died of the injuries. The white miners walked out of the mine and assembled more white workers and began marching towards the town carrying firearms and various weapons. By the time the mob reached Chinatown in Rock Springs, the 10 miners had grown to a mob of 150. The mob was not just made up of miners, but included saloon owners, patrons, grocers, and various other occupations. They split up and started hitting houses, businesses, coal pits, and surrounded the small Chinatown. Killing, beating, robbing, raping, scalping, mutilating, branding, decapitating, and dismembering any of the Chinese workers and families they crossed paths with. Clapping and laughing the whole time, even white women standing outside cheering them on. Those who escaped fled to the hills and tried to hide themselves in the tall grass and rocks. Those who tried to hide in their houses were burned to death. By the time the murder, destruction, and mayhem were over, there were over 28 Chinese workers confirmed dead. 15 injured and succumbed to their injuries, they estimated was about 40 to 50 dead, but there were many, many, many more that were missing and unaccounted for, so the number is most likely much higher. 78 Chinese homes and businesses were burned. Property damages were estimated at about 150000 which is $4.27 million in today's money. My God. But that's nothing compared to the loss of lives caused by jealousy, fear, and racism of the white miners and townspeople. Besides the atrocities caused by them, what pisses me off the most is the injustice. One week after the massacre, several divisions of the U.S. Army marched into Rock Springs by the order of the president. They brought the survivors they could find with them. All the Chinese arrived in Rock Springs to scorched earth where their homes once stood. The mining company had only buried a few of the deceased and left the others' remains in the open exposed to the elements. They were mangled, decomposing, and partially eaten by dogs, hogs, and other wild animals. The army shut down the mines and only arrested 16 men of the involved, one which was a legislative representative. They were taken to the next town over called Green River and were held until the grand jury could be assembled and indictment debated. I'm going to stop right here and say this. Carrie, I know you are hot and seething and ready to explode, and Donna is too, but it gets worse, so take some calming breaths real fast and breathe. One of them was a legislator. Right. What the fuck? The grand jury assembled and declared that, quote, there was no cause for legal action, and though they examined a large number of witnesses and no one had been able to testify to a single criminal act committed by any known white person that day. What? Even though there were Chinese survivors, they still couldn't find a witness. 
That tells me they did not even interview the surviving victims. Or they were too scared to say anything. Right. I mean, which is completely understandable. They just saw yeah. everyone they know get annihilated. Anyway, those 16 men were released a month after, and upon release, several hundred men and women and children greeted them, and the men were treated to hand clapping and a party to celebrate. No one was ever convicted of the violence and the hatred and the murder that took place that day. Wow. When the mines reopened, the only consequence of the mob actions were that 45 white miners connected to the violence were fired. That is that. The minister to China advised U.S. Secretary of State Thomas Bayard, I think that's how you say his name, Bayard, Bayard, to compensate the victims of the massacre to save the U.S. trade with China. The U.S. government agreed to pay compensation for the property damage, but not for the actual victims of the massacre. Bayard resisted the payments at first, stating that the Chinese workers were at fault because they refused to culturally assimilate (gasps) and that the racism was only from the other immigrants and not the majority of the population. What? He eventually relented. He said it was a monetary gift and not a legal decree of responsibility. He was such an asshole. But money is no compensation for the loss of people, their way of life, and all the family members who will never hold their family members again. There is barely any trace of what was Chinatown in Rock Springs. The location that was associated with the massacre has been surrounded and absorbed by the city's growth. The only trace that it happened is a large rock with a gold plaque with the names and ages of the known victims on it. There is no exact location where Chinatown might have been, but rumor is it was where downtown is now. I had a little one-bedroom townhouse downtown and never experienced any supernatural occurrences there. The only thing that ever happened to me was dreams about Chinese people walking and going on about their business. Nothing else. The place I felt it most was at the theater. I felt like there were other people inside with me that couldn't be seen, but others have had many, many experiences. I know it's long and I'm sorry, but not many people outside of Wyoming know of the massacre. I felt that it needed to be heard. This was a horrible injustice done to people who were trying to make their lives better. I promise the next one I send in won't be so heavy. There is so much more to be heard about it. Too much for one email. I know that you have many, many more wonderful submissions to get through, and this one probably won't be heard for a while, but until then, creep it real and don't get scared, Angela. Well, I'd never heard of that. Well, okay, so I don't think I've heard of that per se, but I watched this show, Hell on Wheels, and it was about the railroads and stuff. It was, it was really good, but they had something like this happen to Chinese miners, and it really was really difficult for them. So I wonder if this was this incident, and I just didn't know it. Wow. It's crazy because, you know, America's like... The American dream is for everybody and Mm -hmm. bootstraps and pull them up and make money and everybody can be rich. And it's like, but if you do come over here, we're going to hate you. Right. Don't try to steal my American dream. Right. Oh, I hate that. And that's like exactly what that was. Yep. And it's like they're working in worse conditions and everything that you're not doing. Because you don't want to do it. Yeah. Most of the time. Not always. Not always. And it, I mean, it sucks, but it's, that's just how. Yeah. And it's not their fault. It's the people who aren't paying the wages that you want for mm-hmm. that position. Yeah. 
what are they supposed to do? Just not work? Because, you know what I mean? Yeah. And hold out for more money? They can't do that. And of course, nobody was punished for it. Gross. Okay, the next one is Sinister Sightings and Aliens. Hey y'all, it's your neighbor from slightly north, Claire. I have a few stories for you, but first I wanted to say how much I love your podcast and the community that you've created. This podcast holds a special place in my heart to hear two Mississippi girls talk about killing makes my little Rankin County heart sing. Keep on creeping, y'all. So now on to the stories. I have a true crime for Carrie and an alien story for Donna and a funny as fuck story for everyone. Grab your carbs and cocks, y'all. This is going to be a long one. First, the true crime. In November of 2019, my boyfriend called to tell me that he had purchased a Jeep. At that time, he was working for a towing company in Flowood, that's in Mississippi, y'all, which gave him the ability to purchase abandoned cars for super cheap. He said he only paid $350 for the Jeep, and I immediately knew which one he was talking about. When I tell y'all I about shit my pants, I mean it. This Jeep was owned by Edward Egbert. Let me explain. Edgar Egbert was hands down the most hated man in central Mississippi for a very long time. His charges included kidnapping, six counts of attempted murder, and attempted fleeing. The story of the fateful September day goes like this. Edgar contacted a man he thought was sleeping with his wife to meet up and talk. He then kidnapped the man, took him home, chained the poor man to the bed, and FaceTimed his wife to tell her to get to the house or else the man would be dead. The wife called the cops, at which point Edgar fled in his black Jeep. He led the cops on a high-speed chase through Madison County, almost hitting a school bus full of kids in the process. The cops spike-stripped the Jeep, blowing three tires out, causing him to wreck right in front of the Canton Country Club. At this point, Edgar opens fire. As a former Marine, he was well-trained and well-equipped, not idolizing him in any way. This is a pertinent detail. He had multiple firearms, cans of ammunition, high-capacity magazines, multiple knives, and a death wish. He fired over 100 rounds at the responding officers, hitting two of them and almost killing one. One deputy was hit in the arm and another deputy in the head. The deputy who was shot in the head was partially paralyzed, but he survived and is still recovering. Edgar was shot in the arm and arrested, his Jeep in a ditch off Highway 16. The tow company that picked up the Jeep is the same one that my boyfriend worked for at the time. So when the Jeep came in, he instantly checked it out. He told me there were a ton of spent shell casings, empty bottles of liquor, knives, broken glass, and that the Jeep was equipped to go deep off-roading, telling me that Edgar had no intention of giving up and fully intended to stay on the run. Edgar was indicted on the six counts of attempted murder and sentenced to 210 years in prison in February of this year. Rewind a little bit, the Jeep sat in the tow yard for three months before my boyfriend was able to take it home. Mind you, this thing looked like an absolute dumpster fire. It had one good tire, don't know if it ran anymore, had no back window, it's a soft top, you can just unzip them and take them off, and was filled with broken glass and mud. To say that my ass was chapped was an understatement. I did not want this damn thing sitting around because of what it was associated with, and moreover, it was a money pit. Like they say, Jeep stands for just empty every pocket. Going forward, we did end up fixing the thing up with new tires, new headlights, a winch, and windows, along with some other stuff. And wouldn't you know, that thing runs like a dream. We've been trying to pick a name for the longest time. It's a Jeepal thing. 
And we finally settled on one. Madison's Most Wanted. Okay, um, just to throw this in there really quickly. Um, based on that person's name, for some reason in my head, he was going to be like a 1950s criminal. No, when she said he FaceTimed his wife, I was like, what? Yeah, it really did sound like old <laughs> old school. Yes. And I think, too, because of the last story, I was, like, expecting, like, an older, like, like Mississippi burning type thing, you know? Okay, the second story, Aliens. Picture it. Middle of nowhere, Mississippi, around 1970. There are no gas stations, no Dollar Generals, and no neighbors for at least half a mile in any direction. This town doesn't even have its own mailing address. It uses the other closest town, which is Roxy, Mississippi. Further, this town just got internet in 2021. So this little place is actually called Hamburg, and my family has lived there for over 70 years. We have a large farm that is over 100 years old and is most definitely haunted. A story for another time. The property consists of the main house, one barn, and one workshop. The front yard is expansive with large pecan and oak trees, a long gravel driveway, and the land is dotted with antique tractors. There is one outside light near where we park the cars between the house and the shop, right above the crabapple tree. I mean, is that straight of a Mark Twain novel? The incident in question was witnessed by my grandmother. A little background on her. All relevant, I promise. She's a former school teacher with a degree from Southern Miss, a faithful churchgoer who plays the piano at their tiny church in Hamburg until her arthritis forced her to stop, and who is still to this day an active member of the congregation and stands by her story regardless of what people say. On to the story. She was at home one night when she saw something outside. She said that she looked up above the outside light and saw a bright green light coming from a saucer-shaped object that was just hovering there, making no sound and not moving. The only noise to be heard was the dogs barking their heads off. She went inside to get everyone, and when they came back, the craft was gone. No scorched earth, no mutilated cows, and the light was still on. This is not my family's first encounter with alien spacecrafts. We have a long history of experiencing strange shit. My great-grandmother used to tell a story of seeing a UFO crash into a pecan orchard near her home in Jones County. The ground was scorched and the trees were damaged, but there was no ship and no other evidence of a meteor or any other thing that might have caused the damage. My grandfather says that this UFO that visited the farm, our name for the family homestead, was not the first time and certainly not the last. I've never seen them personally, but I have a healthy fear of these things, so I stay my large pizza ass inside. Third, funny as fuck. Picture it. The same place described above, year unknown because I'm telling this from memory. One night, my grandparents were away from the house for the evening, leaving my mother, her sister, and younger brother to fend for themselves. They were all in high school, so more than able to be left in BFE for a little bit. Now remember that this place is rural as hell. Sorry, y'all. So there's not a lot to do to entertain yourself. My uncle had a friend over, and they were up to some typical teenage boy bullshit. It was getting late, my mom and aunt were winding down for the night, and my uncle and his friend were nowhere to be seen, which wasn't unusual. The girls are just piddling around the house when they hear something outside. They stop and listen and shrug it off. They live in the country, and random noises aren't anything new. The noises continue, so they investigate. When they peek outside of the front porch, they see something they absolutely could not believe. A large, hairy, humanoid figure lurking around the front porch. They scream and take off through the house, wondering what the actual fuck they should do. Fear farting and scrambling, they get to the living room where they realize that the rifle is by the front door. My aunt, being the absolute badass she is, drags my mother back to the front door because she ain't going out like this and grabs a rifle. 
she racks the gun, hollers something like, not today, motherfucker, and flings the front door open, rifle aimed in the direction she last saw the creature. What she saw wasn't some mythical beast. It was two teenage boys diving into the bushes in a gorilla suit, screaming, don't shoot, don't shoot. Yeah, maybe my uncle and his friend thought it would be hilarious to dress up as Bigfoot and try to scare the girls. I think their plan backfired a little bit, but everyone survived, and I'm pretty sure my uncle got the ass whooping of his life afterwards. That's all I have for now. I'll follow up with some ghost stories about the farm and my family's other strange experiences. Thank you so much for doing what you do. This podcast has helped me make it through grad school during a pandemic and gives me so many laughs that I pretty much have a six pack now. Love you both so much. Love and sunshine, Claire. I thought you were going to say it was someone dressed in what is, you know, like people who are like hiding in the bushes and they have like the camouflage gear on, but it's like, it looks like you're a fucking bush. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, oh, a gully, a ghillie suit. Yes. That's what I thought you were going to say someone was in, but oh my God, it's even better that they were in gorilla suits. They had it coming. They had it mm-hmm. coming. Yeah, I love the backfired part too. That mm. Well, I mean, with that like rural living farm life, like you got to have protection from wild animals, yeah. you know, like so that's just right by the door. Don't be fucking with them, girls. Uh-huh. Wow. Also about that fucking Jeep. Whoa. Uh-uh. That is some bad juju. I'd be scared I didn't find everything that was in the car. And like if I got pulled over or something, something was like hidden or something. I don't know. Well, I'd be afraid of like people would think it was them still. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow. But I had never heard of him. Me neither. He FaceTimed his wife. Mm. And was he, was she really having an affair with that guy? I don't know. (laughs) All right, the next one. Hey, Donna and Carrie, I started listening about a month or so ago, and I'm plowing through the episodes. I wish I was getting plowed. I have a couple of stories that you might like to hear. The first happened on December 9th, 2018. We had our first snow of the season, and it also happened to be oldest sister's birthday. I was one glass of wine in, not drunk, and my youngest sister and son decided to go out and sled. Well, you are not Donna because she would have been drunk off her ass with one glass of wine. (laughs) You're not wrong. I was about to say, tell me I'm wrong. (laughs) You're not. I, being a dumbass, chose to try out my son's snowboard and fell on my ass. I was cold, defeated, and ran inside. My grandmother's house is about 800 feet in front of my parents' house, so a little while later when we saw emergency lights backing into her driveway, we were concerned. I went out to check on my sister and son. I ran out of the house and went to the clearing in the trees that lead to the hill they were sledding on. I looked up to my grandmother's house and saw a man walking from the house and disappear behind the garage. He was a tall, slender man with long hair, a long jacket, and boots. I did not know what was going on and was instantly terrified. All I could manage to scream to my sister and son was, go home now. My sister was irate because I didn't explain what was going on. When we got back home, I told her what I had seen. The ambulance had apparently been backing into our driveway to turn around and respond to an accident. So it wasn't a first responder. My mom drove up to the house to look for footprints and there was nothing. I will never forget this. I was not drunk and I know I was not seeing things. You can also read this one if you have time. I lived with my parents for many years as a nurse and a single parent. My workday used to start at 5.30 a.m. every day working in addiction medicine. At this time, I was getting up around 4 a.m. to be at work on time. 
My son, who was maybe six at the time, slept with me and would always speak about a man. One morning, I woke up and looked towards the window towards the end of my room above the garage. I saw a white cloud or a mist, something. I'm not even sure what to call it. I could not believe what I had just saw. I ran downstairs and made my dad get up to sleep with my son as I would not let him stay up there alone until he woke up. Not the most exciting sinister sightings, but these are two of many occurrences on my parents' property. Creep it real and always be on the lookout for ghosts. They are everywhere. Not exciting. Uh, well, you saw a ghost and then you saw like a misty shaped thing. Uh, exactly. That's exciting. And scary as fuck. Yeah, way more than I want to see. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do like tall, slender men. So, you know. You got a type. And I like long hair too. I like them big. I like them chunky. <laughs> That's a TikTok if you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Okay, the next one. Hello, ladies. I started listening to the show a few weeks ago, and I'm obsessed. In listening, I have remembered a sinister sightings from my childhood that I had completely forgotten about. My best friend from middle school slash high school's house was absolutely haunted. Picture it. Two 13-year-old girls dancing to Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, and all of a sudden, things go falling to the ground nowhere near where we were. This happened often. I spent most weekends at her house and every night you could hear footsteps pacing up and down the hallway right outside of her bedroom door. Her brother was several years older and had moved out so it was only her room upstairs. No one was there whenever we would be brave enough to look out her door. Nope, don't like that. She had an old Elvis clock on her wall and it did not work. However, his hips would shake occasionally for no reason. (laughs) His hips don't lie. Worst of all was the basement. We would often get locked down there. The door would jam, then slam shut and jam to where uh-uh. I know to where you could not open it from inside the basement. And I had apparently blocked out all of those memories, but now I'm wondering why the fuck I ever went back after the first creepy thing happened. Why were you down in the basement? I assure you, I'm a chicken. Anywho, thanks for reading my story, Lilas Jess. Love you like a sister. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why you went back either. And why were you down in the basement? Laundry, maybe? At your friend's house? Helping. You helped me with my laundry. If it was in a basement, I wouldn't. (laughs) One, stairs. Especially with all that fucking laundry. Uh, Wheel it up here. Beep, beep, beep. The only time I had uh, basement laundry was when I was doing my residency in Salem, and I would always hit my head on the thing going down the stairs, and it hurt and (laughs) pissed me off. But imagine that. She always did it because she would forget and be... In a hurry. You know what? You don't know me at all. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Next one. Hey, ladies. I found your podcast on Spotify after binging so many others, and I'm absolutely obsessed. Yay! I love the scary stories, but how you keep them lighthearted so they're not ever too, too spooky. Mm-mm. I'm still trying to be able to sleep at night. <laughs> I'm not sure if any of these are that good, but while listening to an older episode, I remembered an old story that I have not thought about since I was a little kid. Y'all are welcome for unlocking all these memories for y'all. <laughs> or no, I don't know. Y'all might be blocking them out for a reason. Right? Okay, so backstory. I've always been a really anxious and sensitive person, especially from maybe ages three to eight. Because of this, when I was a child, I often slept with my parents because I didn't like to be alone. I remember that I used to wake up in the middle of the night every night and I would get this feeling that something was laying next to my parents' bed. 
I would get uneasy, but never really scared. One day, I worked up the courage to look over the bed when I got that weird feeling. When I looked over, I remembered seeing a dog just sitting there. It was a yellow lab dog that would just sit and lay there. I never owned a dog as a kid, so I remember being really excited to see a dog there, and I would get excited to see it at night. Once my little sister was born, I stopped sleeping in my parents' room, and I never saw it again. I brought this up to my parents, and they claimed to never feel or see it, but I know what I saw. However, my whole family does agree with me that my sister's bedroom always had a weird feeling, even though my house is not very old. It was just built in 1999. My family has a long line of women psychics, so I have no idea if that has anything to do with it or not, but I do remember seeing that dog, and it always comforted me. Thank you so much, and love you guys, Emma. Okay, well, I slept with my mom up until uh, middle school, and I would have still been sleeping with her if I could. (laughs) I love sleeping with her. Maybe the universe just knew what you needed? Oh, I was like, me? But (laughs) yeah, the dog. Yeah. Yeah. Not always about me. I, get I was it. about to say that, but you know what? I'll just let you figure that out on your own. <sighs> One of my many toxic traits. Yeah. Well, it's weird that you felt anxious at first, but then you were comforted by it. I don't know. I was talking to a lady today and she was saying how her dog like loses its shit around her son-in-law and how She's like, I don't know why, like he's like the dog has been like that since it was a puppy, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, well, do you like your son-in-law? And she was like, no. Uh-huh. I was like, that's why your dog doesn't. Yeah. Because it's smart and it picks up on that because we don't deserve dogs. Exactly. But you had the best kind of dog, a ghost dog that you didn't have to feed or anything. And it didn't poop in the floor. Look, because I'm going to make this about me because I've been hanging out with you too long. Oh, okay. We got Jax a doggy door, and now he has a bowl that we've hooked up to the water hose outside, and it's got, like, one of those levers. Like, if it gets below a certain amount, it just fills back up. Oh, cool. Because this dog fucking loves to be outside, and if y'all know anything about English Bulldogs, they get overheated super easy. They're just not cut out for the heat. I don't know. My dad explained it. I can't remember what he said. It's like something with how they breathe, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, they're not cut out for the heat. Me either. But this fucking dog loves to be outside and dig and do all the dog things that most English Bulldogs are like, are you kidding me? I'm taking a nap. But this dog is almost completely self-sufficient now. (laughs) If I had an automatic feeder... I would have to do a goddamn thing. <laughs> well, clean up his throw up. Touche. <laughs> and Colby's. Because oh. sometimes it makes Colby puke when Jack's pukes. Oh, my God. But I'm like, dang, this dog is almost completely self-sufficient. Yeah. Like, it's almost like a cat where, like, we could go out of town and be like, catch you in a couple days. <laughs> I know. I told you a doggy door is amazing. You, you are not lying. They're expensive as shit. <laughs> but it was worth every penny. Yes. It's like when you get your license for the first time and you're like, I can go wherever I want to. If I want to just get out of the house, I can just drive around. That's what a doggy door is for them. Well, not right now. You wouldn't do that because gas is $8 billion. Yeah. But. Yeah. Okay, the next one. It's summer of 1997. Hello, ladies. I don't know why I said that so creepy because they didn't say it that creepy because they had a smiley face. I hope this email finds you both happy and well. Thursdays have now become my favorite day of the week. Thanks to y'all and writing in to share my experiences has been a healing process. 
Thank you for this amazing group. Y'all should be so proud. I wanted to share a story with you both that haunts me to this day in hopes of educating others. Beware of your surroundings, people. If something feels weird, chances are it is weird. Go with your gut. Okay, summer of 1997. In 1997, I was a freshman in high school doing all the things new ninth graders do. At the time, I was playing basketball, and I was on a slightly different school schedule because of athletics, and that meant that I had biology with Coach Kane every day, unlike my other classes, which alternated days. Coach Kane was the golf instructor at our high school and was an awesome teacher. I looked forward to going to class each day because he made science relatable and fun. One day, Coach Kane did not show up for class. No substitute teacher set up, no notice to the administration, just received a phone call at school, and just walked out of the building. Weird. So all the students just hung out until athletics started and went on our way. That night, when I came home from work and turned on the news, there was headlines plastered everywhere concerning a missing high school senior, Jessica Kane. She was only three years older than me. Jessica disappeared August 17, 1997, after participating in a musical at the Bay Area Harbor Playhouse in Dickinson, Texas, and then having dinner afterwards with her high school friends at Bennigan's Restaurant in Clear Lake, Texas. Bidding them farewell, she drove her dad's pickup truck, headed home, never to be seen or heard from again. Hours later, her father found his truck parked on the southbound shoulder of the freeway, not far from her home, her purse inside, but no signs of his daughter. The next day, Coach Kane was back in his class. He explained that Jessica was his niece and that, yes, she was missing, and police were unsure of what happened. He spoke with a very heavy heart. It was a very somber moment because the details of what was known to the public was not good, and we all knew it. 19 years later. I always wondered about Jessica and thought about her often. I turned on Channel 2 one night in the middle of the news report on Jessica stating that bones were found in a four-acre dig site at 6100 East Orem in Houston, where officers from several different law enforcement agencies labored for weeks based on a tip, and testing finally proved they are those of Jessica Kane and a second victim. Who was the kind-hearted tipster, the murderer, William Lewis Reese. Apparently, the summer of 1997 was his coming out party as a serial killer and is estimated to have killed eight or more women and girls during that year. Apparently, Reese was old, ill, and wanted better accommodations in prison, so he decided to start giving body locations to the police in exchange for better living conditions. What a saint. In 2016, William Lewis Reese, 56, who was already jailed facing the death penalty in Oklahoma, was brought to Texas for questioning and is believed to have told authorities where to find the remains of both Jessica Kane and those of another missing University of North Texas student, Kelly Cox of Denton, Texas, in exchange for remaining in prison in Texas. He was spotted several times at the dig site near Hobby Airport in the Brazoria County site where Jessica and Kelly's remains were found. Reese is believed to have told authorities where to dig. Kelly disappeared just a month before Jessica. Jessica's father, C.H. Kane, admitted to reporters that the police called him to let him know Reese told them where to find Jessica's body. Reese was a 28-year-old truck driver when he was convicted of kidnapping and assaulting his first known victim in 1987. The woman, a University of Oklahoma freshman, managed to escape after persuading him to let her use the restroom. While out on bond awaiting trial for the attack, Reese struck again, meeting another woman at an Oklahoma bar, following her home and raping her. 
He spent the next 10 years in prison for the crimes against both women before being released on October 5, 1996, record show, and decided to celebrate with a killing spree. Police identified Reese as the prime suspect in the kidnapping and murder of a 12-year-old Laura Smither, but he was never charged. Smither disappeared while jogging on April 3, 1997 in her quiet Friendswood neighborhood not far off the interstate. Her body was found 17 days later, about 12 miles from her home. In May of 1997, Reese abducted 19-year-old Sandra Spaga, who had stopped to fix a flat tire. She later testified he put a knife to her throat and forced her into his truck, but she escaped by leaping from the vehicle as they were driving north on I-45. The case led to the prison sentence in Oklahoma. Unfortunately, Reese wasn't arrested until five months after that crime. In that time, he continued to rape and kill. Reese was named a person of interest in the July 15, 1997 disappearance of Kelly Cox, a University of North Texas honor student who went missing after a tour of a Denton jail with her criminology professor. The 20-year-old had telephoned her boyfriend that she had accidentally left her purse and keys locked in her car, but when he arrived to help, she was gone. Cox was the mother of a 19-month-old daughter and had never been seen again. On July 26, 19-year-old Tiffany Johnston was raped and murdered after being abducted from Sunrise Car Wash in Bethany, Oklahoma. Advances in DNA testing have connected Reese to Johnston's death. On August 17, 1997, when Jessica Kane was taken, it is believed to be Reese's last victim. On top of all this, authorities sought William Lewis Reese, 57, and several other attacks that happened in the year following his release from prison in 1996. Those cases became linked to the Texas Killing Fields, a stretch along busy Interstate 45 where more than 20 girls and women died mysteriously over three decades. Evil does walk on earth. Give us winged demon roaches, Donna, or ghost any day of the week over evil reincarnate. These women were just living life, minding their business, and then just taken from their families for no reason. The story has always stayed with me. God bless these girls. Be vigilant, creepsters, and look out for one another. Jen, the suburban farmer. Look, there's no need to say the R word there, Jen, okay? I mean, it fit, though. But that is very, very sad. I've I've wanted to do the Killing Fields stories. I mean, and especially because I lived in all that area when Mm -hmm. I lived in Houston. And it is, like, very interesting to me. I've driven that interstate and, you know, all of that. But it's, like, it's such a huge story. And it's, like, how many serial killers is it really? I mean, is it one? Is it 25, you know? Yeah. You know what makes me so mad is when they attack and do despicable things like he did when they're out like when they just got out of jail when they're awaiting trial like whatever it's like they should have never been out or you Mm -hmm. know like whatever it's like you let them go and they did terrible terrible things because I feel like you've covered a lot of stories where it's like oh well this person got out like on a technicality or overcrowding or something like that And when they got out, that's when they, like, went on their spree. And it's hard, though, because you can't just keep them in forever. Exactly. But then it's like, yeah, you let them out. And it's like, they do the worst possible things. Yeah. It's just, you feel so bad for all of the victims. And like you always say, it's a snowball effect. It's not just one victim. It's their families. Hell, it's his students Mm -hmm. that he had to walk out, you know, when it's just like, oh, my God, let me go. 
you know, like you're forever changed by that. Okay, last one. The shadow person. Hello, ladies. I just wanted to start off by saying that I recently discovered you guys' podcast and I'm obsessed, but in a good way. I've had many experiences in the house I grew up in that still stays with me to this day. Ever since I was younger, I've always been sensitive to the spirit world, the good and the bad. I grew up in a small town, really small, and the house we moved in around my 10th birthday was old, like built in the 1900s old. I have five siblings and shared a room with my older sister. I would often wake up at exactly 3.30 a.m. no matter what time I would fall asleep. I would wake up in what I guess you can say was night terrors. A figure with long black hair, no face, and long ass fingernails would be reaching out for me and I would jump so hard I would wake up. Kind of when you dream that you're falling off of a cliff, I would be in a full body sweat. The room would be freezing. But if you walk to my sister's bed, it wouldn't be. It was just my bed. I would hear voices throughout the house that sounded like my mother or stepdad calling my name, but I would be home alone. I would look out in my backyard from the kitchen window. It looked like a shadow of a person would be standing in the backyard by our tool shed, just staring into the house. Blankets were being pulled off of me at night. Weird dreams. It got so bad I refused to even be in the house and moved in with my grandparents. Things got better after that. I think mostly because I learned to shut it out completely. Even in my adult years, I've had some weird things happen, but not to that extent. This story may not seem so scary to some people, but when you wake up in the middle of the night to the blanket being pulled off of your bed and a shadow person thing in your room, it's not fun. I have way more stories, but there isn't enough therapy sessions for all of that. Uh, doesn't seem scary. Look, in any scary movie, when they have the covers pulling off the bed, especially Paranormal Activity, that was the first one that I really saw like that, that gave me shivers. No, 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 no. I do not like that. Mm -mm. And you know how I feel about it. (laughs) Don't fuck with your sleep. Exactly. If it's fucking with my sleep, I'm not there for it. Mm Mm-mm. But like, you know, you wake up and you're like, how did the covers get this way or whatever? Then I think about like, oh my God, what if they got pulled off of me? Meanwhile, I just got hot and kicked them off and Mm -hmm. whatever. But still, I'm like, it was a ghost. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Well, we want all the stories because, whoa, that goes to, sorry, that goes for all of y'all. And again, there were like different running themes throughout these. I know. It's so crazy how they're always interconnected somehow Uh uh-huh well we love hearing these stories we say that every time but we really really do and we're glad that y'all feel safe in this community because so do we absolutely and if you want your story read y'all know i butt clenched because i get scared we're gonna run out i know we're not but i'm still scared send them in to aparanormalchicks at gmail.com and remember creep it real and and don't don't get get scared. scared cinnamon cinnamon that you sound like you say cinnamon every time send them in cinnamon cinnamon